Hello, we are back for another episode of the Freewheeling Podcast. As usual, I've got Lauren Rowney. Lauren, how's it going? Really good, Abby. And I'm not going to talk about the weather because apparently that's that's not how we start the podcast anymore. But I will <laughs> say that um, the season has gone really quickly and it doesn't feel like it was six months ago we were talking about coronavirus and there being no racing. So I think we have a few points to talk about today. Agreed. It's It's gone by crazy qu- quick and also quite slowly. <laughs> um, also joining us today is Jose Bean. Jose, how's it going? Good, good. Happy to be back with you girls. Yeah, I when I was writing the, the kind of pointers that we're going to talk about today, I, I couldn't help but think that it's kind of hard to follow up last week's episode. And like, I think I speak for Lauren also when I say that we are just so grateful for the outpouring of support that we got about that that episode and everyone who, who sent messages to Gracie or said something to her on Twitter. Um, I know that I personally got a ton of direct messages and emails about it. And it was a episode that I was editing it and I texted Lauren and I was like, this is the best podcast we've ever made. And that's why we got into the podcasting game is to tell the stories of the women in the Peloton. And we've shifted a little bit more towards race reporting and stuff because it's really hard to get someone on the phone every week to, to have someone interview, you know, they're really busy. They're, they're training, they're racing, they're stressed. They also have families and lives. So having, having someone come on every week isn't as possible as we wish it was but when we do get someone on and and especially how open Gracie was I mean yeah I I just I'm rambling but I just wanted to say thank you guys so much for for enjoying that episode it was um for me personally a really cathartic experience because I've raced alongside Gracie um you know I've was retired now for I suppose four years but we came through the ranks together and we were on that first selection camp at the AIS in 2011. And, you know, she was this mountain biker that for me came out of nowhere. And I was like, who the hell are you? Like (laughs) this girl is good. She's going to be good. And I saw some similarities in, in just sort of the athletes we were. So she was always in my eyes, a competitor, but a friend as well. And someone I aspired to be like, to be honest. And, I only really said these things to her before we recorded the podcast. We caught up for a coffee and um, yeah, it was just nice to actually sit down for the first time, I think really as friends and then just be like, wow, like what an experience this, this whole yeah, professional cycling circus has been. And um, she just really opened up about everything and she's so, articulate um with the way that she communicates and she's very intelligent as you can tell and it was just nice to to hear from her and I think that's just really why we got such a great response was it was honest it was raw both you and I could relate on so many levels to what she was saying and um yeah that's the beautiful thing about this podcast and I really look forward to more of this content coming yeah, we're going to we're going to keep trying to bring those interviews to you guys because it's what Lauren and I love to do. Um like and it's how we started all those years. Yeah, ago. exactly. <laughs> yeah, we did. That's a, that's like what we were doing in the beginning and it's just so rare that you get someone like Gracie who's able to open up that much and and so having Gracie come on the podcast and be just so raw was incredible for everyone listening and also for Lauren and I. 
So. Yep. Thank you, Gracie. <laughs> yeah. Huge thanks to Gracie. Um, before we get into the podcast, we have one more bit of housekeeping. So for the last year, we've been bringing you a peek inside the women's Peloton tracks with riders, as well as other people doing awesome stuff related to bikes and even a smidgen of Taylor Swift content. And the reason that we're able to do that is thanks to Velo Club. So now we're asking you, if you haven't already, to consider joining Velo Club. Um, as a thanks, we'll send you the Cycling Tips annual coffee magazine. It's this awesome little magazine, like slash coffee table book that has photos and content and they're being made right now and they'll ship out at the end of the year. So if you sign up for Velo Club anytime now to the end of the year, you'll also get the annual. It's only $79 US dollars a year, which is about two cups of coffee a month. And by being a Velo Club member, you're directly supporting the content that Cycling Tips makes. You're making it possible for us to be able to trash talk the ASO on this podcast because we have no affiliation with anyone and we can say whatever we want and do podcasts about Taylor Swift. So sign up for Velo Club if you haven't already. And if you have, thank you so much for supporting us. You're literally the reason that this podcast exists. And I'll just further what you said, Abby. One of the best things about the Velo Club is the Slack channel. And if you're not familiar with Slack, it's like, how would you describe it, Jose? It's it's great fun. You know, uh, yesterday I posted a, a picture of a crawfish uh, on my ride, which are uh, a bit of a plague where I live. And I got all <laughs> sorts of recipes from people in Louisiana about how to cook crayfish. So it's it's, so it's, it's so much fun. And everybody's like so supportive. It's not like, like Facebook or Twitter where people can be really nasty and mean. It's just like people loving bikes, loving what we do at Cycling Tips. And especially what you said, Abby, being um, Velocub is, is exactly why I'm part of Cycling Tips and could do all the amazing women's interviews that I've done so far. Um, and that is thanks to so many people supporting us. So also for me, a, a big, big thank you for everybody who's part of Fellow Club and and wants to be part of it because we got a lot of great messages, um, Abby and I, when, uh, when it was announced that we officially joined the club here and a lot of people joined Fellow Club because of us. So that's pretty neat, isn't it? Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> I, love the, I love the Slack. Um, and I, there, there was like a little bit of controversy on Slack when politics were brought up, was brought up recently. And it was really funny how like so many people jumped in and were like, this is a positive environment. <laughs> it is. The Velo Club is just refreshing. Like you have everything to talk about from tech to the podcast to just stuff outside of cycling, anything but bikes. So yeah, jump on board. So with that, let's get into the episode. First, racing. We had the final one-day race of the year, Depana, last week, and now the one-day one races are over. And it feels like, like you said, Lauren, the season went by so quickly, but also it feels like, I mean, I forget that it started in January. <laughs> yeah, and we had just that little tiny break you know, of six months or something. So, no, mm -hmm. not quite six months. But um, I think it was, well, at least for the men, it's been really jam-packed. Um, you know, the women had periods of where there was a lot of racing going on and then periods where it was a bit more relaxed. So, you know, at points we had lots and lots to talk about and then other points we didn't so much. So um, it's been interesting and I think it's been great to just see 
I think we've discussed this before, Abby. Um, certain riders sort of rise up this year and really like show the world that that they're here. They're on the stage now. Um, so that was the best thing for me. For the one days, it felt like there was pretty much three winners of all the one days. I mean, mostly Anna Vanderbregen and Lizzie Dignan. I feel like we're pretty dominant in the one days. For the Giro especially, we saw a lot of different riders winning stages, notably the last stage of the Giro with the FDJ rider. Um, but yeah, for the one days, I don't know. I ha- I'm, I'm very conflicted about them because I think they were all really, really exciting. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's well, of course, yeah, Plouet stands out for me as a, a, a wonderful race by... And, and La Cruz, of course, by Dighton. But was it her season? I, I don't I don't really know. She, she won the World Cup. Or, yeah, she did. Um, but there were many, many great, great races and, and great riders. Um, no, it's I don't think it's only about these two, to be honest. I, I think sort of, the standout performances are actually the riders that were up and amongst it that didn't win the races. Mm-hmm. Like Lizzie Banks in yes, GP Plouet yes. and Demi Vollering in La Course. And also, I mean, she was just every race she was in, she was up there. And Mar- I can't Garcia. wait to see what she does next year. Yeah, Marvi Garcia um, was a yeah, great ride right, right, as well. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and um, for me, it was just really exciting um, – yeah, it was bad luck for Amanda Spratt and Annemiek van Vluden to, to sort of crash out of that last part of the season in a sense. But it was an opportunity for those other riders on Mitchell and Scott to step up. And we saw some fantastic performances from Grace Brown, who mm-hmm. I think is going to be just a really – she is a world-class rider now, but one of Australia's best. Um, you know, if, if, if you missed it, of course, there's my interview with her on Cycling Tips to read up on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Really to, get, to get to know her a little bit better, because well, to many outside of Australia, she came onto the scene this year as a bit of a surprise, I think. Mm, but if you speak to, that's actually right. But if you speak to any Australian um, listener, perhaps, I still distinctly remember my best friend saying to me years ago, she raced on a domestic team with Grace Brown. I think it was Holden. Yeah. And um, she said, "This girl is going to be something." And sure enough. Um, here she is winning a race in Europe and getting second at Liège, bust on Liège. That was a brilliant performance. Um, and her, and her really. career is basically only like four or five years young. You know, yes, she's not, yes. she hasn't been racing since she was 12. She only races yeah. a few years and comes from, from athletics. And so, so she has a lot of growth margin. And just like she said to me in the interview with Annemie van Vleuten out of Michelton Scott now, the entire dynamic of the team is going to change because she said – we usually race to cater Annemiek. Mm-hmm. And now that she's out, the, the team dynamic will change and new leaders will um, will emerge and she will be one of them, especially for the, for the classics, I think. Well, and I hope now that when they go into that end of year team meeting and you sit down, everyone, every rider gets to do this. You sit down with the DS, the managers, maybe someone from even higher up in the team is in that meeting. Um, for example, Mitchell and Scott, the general manager, could sit in. And they basically say to you, how do you see 2021 looking? Like, what are your goals? What are your ambitions? And for some riders, they don't really get the opportunity to go, you know what, I'm going to target this race next year. Um, and I'm hoping that um, for Mitchell and Scott now, every rider who goes into that meeting, including their new signing, which we'll speak about, 
to Neil Campbell has an opportunity to say, I want to target this race, and that might be Omla Pagaland, not necessarily Flanders or the Giro, but just a race to target. And, um, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot more diversity in that team with, with who can win and who, who has a chance on the day. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see what Grace Brown does next year. I mean, her performance at Brabant's Appeal was amazing, um, that solo win. But like you said, her her second place at Liège-Bastogne-Liège was just incredible. And I don't know how like correct the time gaps were because she made up so much time on Lizzie so fast. And they were like so close for so long. But yeah, I can't wait to see. I mean, we'll kind of get into transfers in a minute, but I think with what you're saying is definitely true. Like we're going to see a completely different riding style out of Middleton Scott next year. Yeah. It might help with their growth as well. I mean, it's great to have a, the the best ride in the world on the team, but it's, yeah, I can understand that some riders who could have a lot of potential outside of being just a domestique fall into that role. And, you know, you actually forget how to win. Yeah. Good point. So, so yeah, we're done with the one day races of the year. Um, kind of a bummer that the couple of them were missed, but say la vie next year is potentially a new year. We'll get to it. So the last world tour race of the year is the Madrid challenge, which is a week from when this podcast comes out. However, there is no courses online at all i looked there's not I looked even a everywhere. website online there's not even the yeah. website is not even working <laughs> i looked everywhere oh, i couldn't find any courses it is working from today it the, the last news is the press release from may 21st that it has three stages mm. and the last the last is with the dates now confirmed by the uci the organization is now working on designing the race itinerary which will be revealed in the coming weeks which was on May Sweet. 21st. It's a bit like Donald Trump's health plan, which will be revealed in two weeks. <laughs> so we still have no courses, but the race no. is a week away. And with the current state of the coronavirus in Spain and in Madrid, there's rumors that the courses will just be moved away from Madrid and it'll be raced somewhere else, but there's still no word. And yeah, that's kind of an interesting situation. So as far as previewing it, we would technically be previewing it, but it's kind of hard to preview a race that we don't really know what it is. There's absolutely nothing on the website. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and the race is next week. But it does have a countdown clock. So they, they, they do know that there is a race going on. Mm. They're aware. And a lot of the, like, a lot of the top, top riders have already announced that they're done for the season. So Bowles is done for the season and, and done. Um, there'll be SD works next year, but Lizzie has announced that she's done with her season. We don't really know anything about Mariana Voss. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting with the Madrid challenge. It kind of feels like Flanders should have been the end of the season, nothing Mm -hmm. against Depana, but that would have kind of been an epic, like, an epic final stamp on the season, I feel like. I have to I agree on that one. I do think that Ellen van Dijk is targeting our, that race because um, she lives pretty close to me and I, I, I've met her a few times in the past weeks, including on her time trial bike, which I find odd in the off-season. But maybe it's normal to ride your time trial bike for a few hours hours on the off-season, but is it normal? If you're oh. Ellen Van Dyke, yeah, probably. Yeah. But a, yeah. But a week after the last race, maybe you should take <laughs> no. some time off first. 
No, I, I would say that if you were done in your head, you probably wouldn't be on your time trial bike at this point. But if she's going to that race and she's planning yeah. on doing well, then I think you're spot on, Jose. But yeah. like you said, Abby, this it's kind of a question mark. We assume it's going on. But for the most part, a lot of riders probably have, um, yeah, switched off a bit. If I was still a rider, I probably would have switched off at this point. It would be kind of hard to after so because yeah there wasn't a ton of racing this year for the women like compared to the men but with the way that the calendar was scheduled and all the external factors it was such a stressful season for everybody so I feel like I would just want want to put a stamp on 2020 and look forward to 2021 which we already have bad news um cycling tips broke the news today that the tour of the tour down under and probably also Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race will not be happening in January which is really not that surprising. Yeah, but people seem to be reacting quite negatively to this press release. <laughs> we'll call it that. Um but honestly, I think if you're sitting in Europe right now like all three of us are, you're thinking, well, it's the end of October now, like for lack of a better word, shit is hitting the fan here again. Um, <laughs> Big time. <laughs> Belgium is, uh, I, I live in Belgium and it looks like we're going almost into a second lockdown now. And so the very idea that you could have the traveling circus of the professional cycling world going halfway across the world to race in January, in my mind, just doesn't seem one, logical and two, possible. I mean, there's just so many factors to consider. And, like, I, as an Australian citizen, I'm just putting out there would be pretty pissed off if a bunch of foreigners got to go down under without a quarantine because that's what they're talking about. And I, you know, I, I'm stuck in a hotel for two weeks. Exactly. I'm kind of stuck here because getting on a flight is quite difficult unless you have a bit of pool in Canberra, um, like some riders. But, yeah, I'm not a professional athlete anymore, so it's not like I can just jump on a plane and go home. And then if I do go home, well, I've got to shell out three grand. So yeah. that was know, a there's... shocking thing to me, Lauren, because on that same ride I met Ellen van Dijk, I also came across uh, Loretta Hansen, who, who kind of lives here in, and in Spain and here in the Netherlands uh, in the season. And she told me she had a flight first. It was a flight somewhere in November. Then she that was cancelled. Then she had a flight on like early November, and that she was still waiting for that. And then she all of a sudden she was in Qatar, and they they got her last minute on a flight to um, to Australia. But then you have to be, and to me as a European, this is incredible. You have to be in a hotel, which is basically mandatory confinement for two weeks, and you have to pay for it yourself. Yeah, three thousand dollars. And then, they, if you follow Loretta on Instagram, she is kind of, um, uh, well, sharing with us her um, her hotel room experience and the food mm. that she gets. And she literally doesn't have a window that can open. Uh, she yeah. has a very limited space where she can do a little bit of yoga and then walk around the room and. And that's all that she can do for two weeks. I'm sorry, it's, but you're basically paying to be in a prison cell. That's how I describe and, it. A luxury exactly. cell. And but, normally, stick on your, your, your emotion, Lauren, that you have to be in, in quarantine for two weeks and then a whole bunch of foreigners, not only riders, but also staff and mechanics and soigneurs and, and everybody comes to Australia and they don't have to go through that. That, yeah, that, would, so, that would, And what if it spikes a new outbreak and you have, mm -hmm. like they have in Victoria, they had like 110 days of lockdown. 
Yeah. What if that happens in South Australia? You you would be pretty unhappy with that as a citizen of South Australia. Plus, could you imagine like flying all the way down there and then somehow all of the riders would have to get trainers because it's two weeks before they race the first world tour race of the season. Cause yeah, but who would tour do down that? under is world tour for men, not for exactly. women, but like they'd have to get all of the riders trainers because they're not just going to sit in the hotel, like oh, not doing anything. Who, who in their right mind would travel halfway across the world and traveling to Australia is not an easy trip. For one, it's the middle of summer, and why, in God's name, would you sit in a hotel, like, through well, and uh, uh, it's just bizarre. So for all the people who put all the hate posts on Facebook, really think this through and just think, is this logical? I love the Tour Down Under. It is my favorite race, my favorite event, but I'm sorry, I just don't see how this this can go ahead, and you can't compare it to a cricket match um or a tennis game i'm sorry T- tennis is naturally socially distant and yeah. cycling is by definition not yes yeah and yeah. and it's also hundreds and hundreds of people like it's not just the women's race that's going down there but it's also the men's like it's an insane amount of people and i mean part of the beauty of tour down under because i agree lauren i love that race I've, mm-hmm. i only did it one time but oh my gosh i had so much fun and it's not just the race that's amazing the atmosphere but also the atmosphere <laughs> exactly and the 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 reason that the atmosphere is so incredible is because people come from all over australia just to go to tour down under i mean when we flew in because we had team camp in california and then we all flew to tour down under together and when we landed there was like no joke 60 bike bags at the large baggage pickup and it was all these people that all come to ride the courses and watch the race and we'd be out there like doing a training ride and we'd see hundreds and hundreds of cyclists on the road that came just for the race and that's kind of what makes the tour out under so incredible as a race and it's devastating that it's canceled for next year absolutely devastating but with the way things are trending right now, it's hardly, it's not surprising. (laughs) And yeah, it's not surprising. And it's not, it's not the end. Like, I mean, all my fingers and toes are crossed that it comes back in 2022. And I, it would be a huge loss to the calendar if it didn't, because part of the, like one of the problems that cycling has is that it's really not very well spread around the world. There's now, you know, one UCI, well, one big race in the u.s and it's for the men and it's utah like we've lost all of the racing in the u.s we've lost the philly cycling classic we've lost the tour california we've lost the pro cycling challenge and the women still have the colorado classic but it's really hard to get all the top european teams to send a team over for a four-day race at altitude because that requires a lot of preparation um but yeah i i mean having these races down in australia it it's really important to the calendar to spread out the racing it can't all just be in europe at the same time sending these riders down to do this race it like for the women when they go down to do those races they go down for a full month they go for yeah. a tour tour down under they go for the cadells and then they go for the um herald sun tour Harold Sun Tour, yeah. And if they were to go down there and have to do two weeks of quarantine beforehand and two weeks I mean, when that, they come back to europe it's a that month. is Yeah, that's like two months of time spent dedicated. It just, it's 
it's, it's just com- too crazy. It's completely logical. Uh, it's it's sad. Uh, and and I find I was in I was in Flanders um, last week or two weeks ago, and I was just standing there. It's like Omloop at Nieuwsblad is in three months, three and a half months. This is yeah. not this is not over. It's not. A lot of people have this naive thought that once January comes, we can go back to normal. And we will not, you know, all the spring classics will probably be like the Tour of Flanders, like no people allowed. And you should really be happy with what Flanders classics did and especially what the Belgian bicycle fans did. Uh, they stayed home for the love of the race is what the CEO of Flanders classics told me. And I found that a, a really beautiful quote because if they hadn't stayed home, there was no race. Uh, it's simple as that. And this is, this will stay for next year as well. And, it's it's not a huge shock. So people just um, scolding cycling tips for breaking this news now is it's a bit hypocrite, isn't it? You know, it's what we do. We bring news. Yeah, and just use your common sense, really. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's sad, but it means that we can just sleep through the night, which is worth something, instead yeah. of scrolling <laughs> through tweets. On on a happier note. The rest of the episode, we get to talk about transfers, which Lauren and I love transfers. Jose, (laughs) I don't know if you are on the same page as us, but we feel like it's just so much gossip and it's just so much fun. (laughs) Um, So we're going to start with kind of the smaller transfers and work our way up to the the most exciting one. Um, Anna Plicta is going from Trek Segafredo to Lotto Sudal. Which is interesting. We don't know a ton yet about Lotto Sudal for next year. Uh, so I think that that's kind of going to formulate itself in the, the, the coming months. It, the, the horrible, the, the thing is that they uh, kind of threw out all the management, um, including Lisbeth de Vocht, former Belgian champion. Mm-hmm. And um, they kind of merged it with the U23 team. So Kurt van der Wauer, former Belgian pro, is now going to lead both the women's and the men's team. They get the same equipment as the men, the same infrastructure as the men's team. So they have an upgrade on material in terms of their Ridley bikes. They get the better bikes now, apparently. Mm -hmm. Um, They will also have a sustainable wage, uh, the women. So that's good. Uh, That is something that the Belgian Lotto stands for. But they kind of send out the old management, you know, Denny Schoonbaard, um, the, the older guy who has been, been been with Lotto Sudal forever. He was he was devastated. He heard this news, um, and he was absolutely he's he's to pieces. This was his this was his like his thing, and mm. now he just gets ousted. Um, Lotto Peggy is leaving, which is of course a big big loss for the team. But no surprise. But no surprise, because she needs to... It's the same situation as Lorena Vibus uh, at Park Hotel. She had zero support in the final. Um, mm. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking forward to what kind of riders they're going for. But I think they will have quite a young team, just like the Lotto Sudal men's team will have, mm-hmm. which is a, both a budget thing and um, also an investment in the future. They have, a, they have their own development team. They also want to go towards a development structure for women, I think, at Lotto Sudal. So they, they, they present it as quite a professional program now to really support Belgian women's cycling because it's, it's not really up there yet. There are a few um, great riders, but Julien Dore, she, she retires after the Olympic Games next year. And then you have Kopecky and, and maybe uh, Shari Bosuit, who's 20. 
but there's not a lot of great women, uh, great female riders in Belgium. So the national, biggest national team is now going for that. They have this big program, development program with 15, 16, 17, 18-year-olds. So they really have a vision for that, which is really, really great. So, um, yeah, I'm curious to see what kind of riders they are going for. Um, and then all the other riders will probably find a place at the smaller Belgian teams. There's there's one going, which is the Cyclotel team, you know, that hideous orange jersey, <laughs> um, which is basically a, a cycling hotel kind of crumbled under the coronavirus um, pandemic. Mm. And then you've got some smaller teams who are stepping up from club level to the uh, UCI level, which is... I don't think a great thing, because if you have four or five UCI teams in Belgium, you just don't have the riders for them. You know, you could, they will automatically get invites to Brabant Sepel, Omlopet Nieuwsblad, all these 1.1 or 1. pro races, maybe even Flanders, but they don't have the level. There's too many UCI teams in Belgium, I think, if you've got five of them mm. or six, including mm. Lotus Sedel. But they have a real professional vision. For the future so let's see what kind of riders match that which vision. i'm i'm really happy about because i had this conversation with uh lizalot de Kerr, who's yeah. um, just become the the trainer for jumbo visma and i said to her it's just you look at the development of all the belgian male riders like geez there's a, a lot of top and belgian endless guys. supply endless endless, supply. endless and we're just such a cycling country here in belgium and i you know, I just said to her, why is it? And she just said they just never really invested in the women, but that is changing. So this makes me really happy to hear because they there more, is for yeah, sure do, a lot of potential here. They do more investment in Belgium than they do in the Netherlands. There is no vision at the Dutch National Cycling Union. Uh, a few months ago, I did an article about that, but they just leave it to be. And they have the um, the luck that they have an incredibly big amount of, of riders and one of the things that former Belgian champion Jesse van der Bulke said to me is that there's still a little bit of a taboo on cycling for girls. It's not cool. And if you have nobody in your, in your, among your friends or even your family who does cycling uh, and the image is that cycling is for boys, there's 150 or 180 girls between 8 and 18 years in Belgium with a race license. Mm. And, and about and over 4,000 boys. I mean, we need development teams. So if Lotus et al. is taking a more of a development approach and we'll know more going forward, because at the moment, the only rider that we know is signed for them for next year is Anaplicta. So when we know more going forward, we'll be able to suss out what the team is kind of going to look like next year. But if it is going to be more of a development team, then that's awesome because we just don't have very many of those. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the other one of the other signings that just came out is Marlon Rusa, who was the silver medalist at the World Championships individual time trial, is going to Ale BTC Ljubljana next year. And what's interesting about this move is she is kind of the first of the Polyca girls to be to have announced another team for next year. We know of the ones that signed before the team folded immediately before Flanders but as far as the riders that had re-signed or that were still on the team for next year that we knew of um or or whatever Rusa Rusa is the first one who's found a team for next year 
Or, yeah, yeah, and and there's so much talent on that team. It's like the two New Zealand riders, like Fisher Black and Michaela Harvey. They they should be able to find a place. But rumor is that um, Campana is actually trying to sell himself to other teams, including some riders. So mm-hmm. these riders might be in his package with, for example, Lizzie Banks. Because, you know, if, if he just comes with a, a cluster of riders, it might be easier to, to get to a new team. I don't know. That's yeah, but we're at a tricky point of the season now, aren't we? Because like you mentioned, you know, 10 minutes ago something, Abby or Jose, the, the next season's almost upon <laughs> us. And, and normally, if you don't have a team at this point, I know this year is a bit of a weird year, but like the alarm bells are kind of ringing because teams already filled their 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 rosters months ago and if Um, you're trying to sell yourself as like a director with three riders like mm -hmm. being able to find a spot for one rider is tough at the moment Mm -hmm. but finding a spot for a whole bunch of them that's even more of an ask I mean, yeah, back to the New Zealand riders, I really hope they do find a home because, like you said, they have an enormous amount of talent. And, again, when you're coming from down under or the U.S., it is so much harder, right? Um, The Europeans, like, can always fall back on going back to their home country and then, you know, coming back through the continental ranks again. But as a, as a Kiwi or Aussie or, or American, if you don't have a team, then, well, you've got to go back to your home country. Yeah. And that's yeah, a long way, way away. for them. Yeah. I think for, for Leah Thomas, the kind of had, she had, she was incredible at Strada Bianchi and then she had an injury. So we haven't seen her for a while now, but I think she'll be able to find a team pretty easy, but she was also one of the riders that was announced with an extension with Polyka. So I don't know if she's in his like bubble of people he's trying to take with him to places, but, um, yeah. Interesting. Anyway, watch, next. Watch the space. <laughs> yeah. We'll keep you posted. <laughs> <laughs> next. Uh, Megan Jastrab, the junior world champion from uh, last year in Yorkshire, is going to be riding for Team Sunweb next year. That was a rumor. That's that was uh, actually what I heard in, in already at Omlop. Um, so it's uh, it's it took them some time to be honest. And of course, um, I love Rally. They have one of the amazing, most amazing kits in in cycling. Might be because I'm Dutch and our color is orange, but. <laughs> I just, I just, I just want that kid. It's great. She, she needs a, a full-time race program in the Netherlands. She can live on the Sunweb campus in Sittard, which is a place where the, um, yeah, where the, the riders of the development team and the women's team have a place to live. Lea Kirchman lives there, for example, during the season. Liana Lippert. So it's, I think it's a great move for her. Um, and I'm, I'm very interested. She, she kind of lost a year, like most juniors. Yeah, they they didn't have any racing at all, at all, nothing. She she didn't get she didn't have one race where she wore the rainbow jersey, not one. So what is that going to do with the development of such a young rider to have missed out on one complete year of racing? I'm gonna say she's just such an incredible talent that, I mean, the only thing that might be a shock to the system is yeah, racing. If they do happen to put her in the spring classics putting her in like yeah what what's the word throwing her in the deep end essentially like there's a big step up and you've mentioned this before Jose um between going from junior and racing in that size peloton to going to racing directly with the elites 
But um, you know her a bit better, Abby, and um, the sort of rider she is and what she can do on the bike, and you probably have a better opinion of this. Yeah, she's she's really, really talented. She's got a really good head on her shoulders. So as far as kind of developing now, it'll I have high hopes for how she's going to go. Um, but I think that she is going to learn a lot from Sunweb. And she's got some really good riders to kind of guide her through it. She's got Leah Kirchman, who did the exact same thing, went from Rally slash Optum to Sunweb and has been in that team for a really long time. And um, I have, yeah, I'm, I think that Megan is a good personality for Sunweb. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as missing a year, she was training with the U S uh, Olympic track team for pretty much the entire summer. So of I think course, yeah, she's done a lot of track. She has done track worlds, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's got a lot of, uh, she, she's done a lot of training with them. So it's not like she's been, you know, just training by herself for the summer and uh, there's obviously no racing in the U S so she wouldn't have been able to jump in crits or anything. Um, but I don't know. That's kind of a toss up, whether that's going to make a huge difference. I mean, Mm -hmm. it it is interesting to see because of course she will target the Olympic games next year. I assume she will. So Mm -hmm. Sunweb won't really have, um, for lack of a better phrasing, full use of her services, um, (laughs) in 2021, because she will be involved in the USA track cycling program. And it goes for other young riders as well. You know, the team that I work for next year racing, we have Shadi Bouchard and she will be involved in a track racing program as well for the Olympic Games. So uh, that will hamper her first year just a little bit. But, well, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with the track cycling either. You know, um, nobody's going to the European Championships anyway. There is uh, hardly any World Cups planned. Um, there's riders who haven't done a single track ride, a track race in over a year. And the Olympics are in, in 10 months. So for, for that part of the sport, it's also looking very dire you know um in terms of competition yeah yeah but i think she has yeah she has probably that that's probably part of the discussion with sunweb that she is and should also be available for usa cycling for the olympic games and the track world championships because she's a very vital she will be a very vital part in that uh, team pursuit team i think um absolutely giving her strength she will be uh together with chloe diger they might be unbeatable towards the British. I have high hopes for that. And Megan is signed for two years. So hopefully this year and her lack of racing this year, if it impacts next year, she has 2022 as well to kind of prove herself as her first two years in the world. It is, it is mandatory yeah, for new new uh, riders to get uh, a new, like Neo pros to get a two-year contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, but of if we look at the team at large, like Florja Mackay, um, some of the younger riders, they do tend to send, uh, sign young riders that they see that have a lot of talent and with the intention to keep those riders, right? That's what that team does. Is, it doesn't I mean, always not, succeed in that. No, no, no. <laughs> that team is definitely not, we, we've had discussions about this before, not suited to every type of rider. Um, And, you know, we've seen the likes of like Molly Weaver not doing so well in that environment. But like you said, this, it it takes a certain personality to thrive on that team. And um, from what you said, Abby, it seems like it'll be a good fit for Megan. And I'm sure we're going to be seeing winning races in 2022 and beyond. Can I, can I do a one, one huge shout out and we already done the classics, but that lead out by Alison Jackson in the Pana was oh. amazing. She dropped everything. 
<laughs> Sunweb was amazing in Depana. I mean, yeah. like pretty much the but whole race that I saw. For next year yet? Oh wow, that's really interesting. Well, it doesn't. It does not, it's not mentioned on the on mm. the Procycling Stats website. And Sunweb are always pretty upfront with their communication. But that lead out by her was was stellar. I that yeah. was that was amazing. Only based yeah. on that, she deserves a new contract. <laughs> <laughs> So next in our lineup, we have two more transfer bits to talk about. The next transfer bit is kind of like a large transfer dump. And that is the, finally, they've officially announced that Yumbo Visma will have a women's team. We touched on it mostly on the Cycling Tips podcast, so we can keep it brief. But with the three of us here, I thought we could dig a little bit deeper into kind of the roster that makes up this team because it's really interesting. I mean, obviously their headliner is Mariana Voss which Dane, our uh, news editor, Dane at Cycling Tips, pointed out to me that Mariana Voss has been pretty much on the exact same team since 2006, mm-hmm. just in different forms, the the same core Set, like, setup. Yeah, S- same exactly, but same as everything. The, same bus yeah, drivers. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she's going to she's gonna be on Yumbo Visma next year, and she is also bringing Rihanna Marcus over from CCC Live for Park Hotel Valkenberg riders that are coming over with... Uh, Ezra Thromp, who's going to be the director. There's two Sunweb riders that are coming over, including Anna Henderson, which I am just so excited about that um, as a ski racer. <laughs> yep, Vandenboss from Bowles Dolmans is coming over. Interesting little mix. I think it's a, a lot of Dutch. Team. Yeah, well, yeah. But in, in women's cycling, it still goes to the majority of the riders you have. That's the license that you get. You know, mm-hmm. uh, remember, like last year, they had to ditch uh, a Dutch rider at WNT because they had an ex- have an extra German rider and able to uh, get a German license. So they have to uh, they have to have at least six uh, Dutch riders to get a Dutch mm-hmm. license. So it's pretty hard to get the top riders at the moment because many of them still have a contract. Mm, uh, yeah. Wasn't Rochelle Gilmore putting out a tweet a while ago that she was looking for riders? For a new yeah, team. What, whatever that, happened to that? That's a whole podcast on its own. There's been no, there's been no word since her tweet asking for, uh, for people to submit the writers they wanted to see on her team. Yeah, well, let's not go there. Let's um, not. Anyway. We, we do not agree on that level. No, <laughs> uh, that's let's not go there. No, but I think it's a pretty solid team. You know, there's some writers who have shown incredible potential when they were younger like mm. uh, time trial champions like Pernille Matissen, Afke Soot, Caroline Swinkels, former world champion uh, in the time trial. So you've got three former European or world time trial champions on the team. Uh, Jip van der Bos, who maybe kind of drowned at Bulls, I don't know, but is a, is a very talented rider. I, I saw her at the national championships and she she was pivotal in the uh, victory of Anna van der Breggen. Mm-hmm. And and then there's some more experienced riders like uh, Romy Kasper, who you can just like who can ride at the front of the peloton for an entire day, if yeah. if, if if needs must. And Mayana Voss is actually the oldest rider on the team. But she said in an interview, and I, I I never tweeted that out, but she said in an interview that she wants to ride at least four or five more years if she can be of um, use to the team. So that's great news, I think. Ah, a hundred percent for women's cycling. Voss is the boss, so keep her around as long as possible. But, again, it comes back to when you interviewed Annemiek van Vluden, when people keep asking her when she's going to retire. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you do still you want, do you want me to retire was, exactly. is, is what she always asks. Yeah, um, if you still enjoy it, if you're earning a good income 
and you love it, why the hell would you stop? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, exactly. and yeah, I don't think Marianne is actually finished anyway in the sport. She has so much to offer and this team is a nice mix of young and experienced. So I'm excited to see um, how they go in in 2021 and of course it's a new team so it takes a bit of you know feeling out to see how everyone's going to race together so don't expect yeah that's that's always hard you know you don't have the structures and the mechanisms in place exactly and maybe the danger is that everybody especially the younger riders are looking up to Voss just a little bit but Voss is absolutely the most non-arrogant person I have ever met in my life Mm. She is um, she is so down to earth. It's just it's just remarkable. You, you would think like if somebody has like a trillion world titles, it, she would be um, a little bit big headed. But it's just not in her dictionary. It's <laughs> and I think and what she said in that article with a regional newspaper is I can, if I can be of use to the team, you know, not that I can keep on winning until I'm 40, but if she can still have a place in the team and. Having young people and just learning the skills of Mayana Voss. I, I spoke to a rider at, uh, a few months ago, Nina Kessler. She's on the TIPCO team. And she had a wonderful anecdote about Mayana Voss. And they were just in one of those crits, which was like a one and a half or 2K lap. So there was like a million turns. And she told me, like, every turn I was looking at Mayana Voss. And now I'm going to do that turn exactly like she did. And then mm-hmm. she tried and she was gapped like a meter, two meter, like every turn ever again. And mm-hmm. she just like she was on her wheel, just looking at how Voss did it, and she just could not replicate it. So, yeah, she has a lot to learn to these younger people. And still, if judging from the Giro, she still has a lot to win herself. Oh, she she will keep on winning till she's forty if if she decides to stay in the sport. Um, I have no doubt about that. Like, okay, she's not going to be winning every race. She's not anymore, but she still has that hunger and that fire in her belly. Um, and you know, you look at someone like Trixie Warwick, who's been in the Peloton a really long time and she's approaching, I suppose her late thirties now, but, um, she's fallen definitely into more of a leadership role in Trek Segafredo. And so maybe we'll see that from Voss in the coming years. Yeah. She's 39, just 39, 30. I sound like Sean Kelly, 39, 39, 39. Um, she turned 39 last month. Um, there you go. Her contract extension has not been uh, announced, by the way, uh, on Trek Segafredo. So uh-huh. I don't know. If I, yeah, it, judging by Prosecond stats. So I don't know if she's uh, she has a place next year. It's remarkable that Germany doesn't have more like really big teams, isn't it? The future is German. I, all these young German riders like Liepert and Ludwig and, and, and Francisca Koch and all these, they, they have a a hugely, hugely talented group of riders between like 20 and 24 at the moment. It's mm. it, it's huge. So much better than we have. I think um, for this Yumbo Visma team, one of the reasons I'm most excited about it is because they strike me as kind of the team that would make a women's cycling team and really put the effort into it versus like Lauren, we've talked a bunch about, you know, women's cycling teams that are there for the team to be like, look, we have a women's cycling team. And mm-hmm. then women's cycling teams that are part of a men's outfit that kind of receive the same support and receive the same amount of attention. And I feel like Yumbo Visma, if they're going to do something, they're not going to half-ass it. So they're going to put resources behind this team. And so I'm really excited to see 
how it goes from here, which is kind of why I'm excited about Anna Henderson, because I think she's got a really great career ahead of her. You do know that the question to have a women's team actually came from the sponsors. Yeah, which awesome. is amazing. There you go. So, that yeah. just says like it all. They, they have a female CEO at Visma, and I'm sure that she was one of the asking parties. And there was another female CEO. It was not Jumbo, but uh, another prime sponsor. And they basically asked Richard Plugge to have a women's team. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So that's uh, that. That shows how important it has become. Uh, not only um, it, it has become for sponsors as well to show that they have equality in, exactly. in what they and they just demand the equality in their team. So okay, we want to give you money, but you have to sponsor a women's team as well. That's basically hmm. what happened. The final bit of signing news is also the most exciting. Tennille Campbell is going to ride for Mitchelton Scott next year. Yay! Yeah, she is. Okay, so I raced against her last year in France a couple times um, at kind of one of the smaller UCI chunk of races, and she was unbelievable. I think she won every single stage of the race we were at. She is so gracious on a bike. She's like two meters or something tall she's so tall and and she is amazing on a bike she is so gracious i i just i just love that style and she she actually started off this year with some solid results i mean i had to 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 really look it up but in half she was uh, sixth or seventh i think i was doing that race i was yeah she was right up there in the sprint she she got a place at that walter femininas yeah um and also at valencia she was right up there in a sprint finish so um, she's, she's she has the legs, talented. yeah. And I think Mitchell and Scott, as we were saying before, is developing into a quite a different team in 2021, and this will be a fantastic platform for her to develop further. And yeah, it, it will also be easier for her, you know. On Trinidad Tobago, they speak English, and I think mm-hmm. there was a bit of a language barrier at Valcar because Italians are well, they're they're lovely, but they're not mostly not known for being uh, polyglots. So, um, yeah, I think Amitriton um, Scott, she will find um, a culture that's more um, that that will suit her better in the Anglo-Saxon uh, tradition. Yeah, and she's got an awesome backstory, like she started with the World Cycling Center, which is kind of like a place for riders to go that maybe don't have a national federation to ride for or don't have a national federation that goes to Europe to ride for. And they put them in these races where they can kind of gain experience and stuff. She went through that and she got offered a spot on Kogas Mettler, the Russian team for 2019. And she turned them down because she wanted to stay with WCC for another year um, before this year signing for Valkar. And so, yeah, her going to Mitchelton Scott is is huge. It's and a world tour especially, team. It's, yeah. um, I, I don't know what the political correct term is, but I think she's the first rider of color on a world tour team. On a in women's the, world tour, on a women's team, world sure. tour team, yeah. yeah, yeah, she is, she is, which is which is huge for the sport. This is what we want to see. We want diversity. So, man, I hope we can talk to her on the podcast someday. That would be really cool. I think she's an incredibly fun person. I think she th- looks to be on social media. Yeah, that's for she sure. looks to be. And I've interviewed a few people of the World Cycling Center. Amber Joseph, uh, who's from Barbados, who's a track cyclist. Um, and also Catalina Soto Campos, who's from Chile and actually rides, um, well, lives in Australia, but they are both come from that World Cycling Center. They both have great things to say about that structure, especially for riders, especially, like you said, who don't have a very strong federation with lots of money. Um, 
And now they can ride races uh, in Belgium. Um, and Catalina, for example, she wrote the spring classics. And you wouldn't expect it from a rider from Chile, but um, she was awesome in that. And uh, so, so now she's signed with a Belgian team. So that's all we got for today. Tons of news. Uh, we'll have more coming at you later. But as the season's about to end, we're going to switch more into the long-form interviews and some other fun stuff all all in the pipeline. So before we sign off, here is the 10-minute chat I had with Katie Hall. All right, I am here with American ex-professional cyclist as of, I don't know, a week ago, Catherine Hall. Katie, how yeah. are you? Hey. Yeah, I don't really know when I became an ex-pro because this has been such a year. Like I thought I thought most of the season that I most of the COVID that I would be racing, but then I didn't race. So I mean, I've been retired like six months already. <laughs> yeah, because you started the season with Simona Val- Valenciana and then COVID mm-hmm. hit. So what kind of what kind of happened there? You went back to the States. I was on the train to head to the airport to go to Strada Bianchi and Danny thought that it was going to get canceled. So he said, just take the train back to Girona um, and we'll fly you tomorrow if you need to. And yeah, it did get canceled. And then I thought I was going home for three weeks to come back and race uh, Spring Classics, I think is what was next. Or no, maybe Binda. Mm -hmm. And I went home and then I've been home since then. (laughs) So... (laughs) Uh, it's, it was it was sort of a crazy departure from Europe. A lot of my stuff is still there, but I can't go there. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And how did you, in the beginning, were you kind of like still training and stuff? Like, when did it turn to adventure riding? Because you also spent much of the summer <laughs> doing like some cool bike packing yeah. trips. I did do some really fun bike packing trips. Um, I would say that was part of my training uh up until yeah i thought i was going to the giro and so i was training pretty hard through uh kind of the end of august yeah beginning of september Mm -hmm. and then and then when did you decide that this was this was it and that you were going to kind of move into the next phase of life yeah well, I made a really good plan like before COVID. So I've been thinking about PT school for a long time. And I got into the University of Washington this year. And it was like, you know, Olympic year, uh, full season, you know, last race of the year is usually world championships, September 26th, I think it was this year. And my class started on September 29th. And I was just going to like wrap up like an awesome yeah, 2020, try to go to the Olympics. Um, yeah, race the world championships, but that didn't happen. <laughs> but school still started. <laughs> so you'd already planned to retire after the world championships. So the only thing that changed was that the race season changed slash got canceled. And yep. then you were like, well, I, s- I was already planning to go to school. So that's what I'm going to do. Yep. I was admitted to school. I applied last summer. Uh it's like kind of been a, a plan that's been in the works for a long time. So I didn't want to change it. Did you think about staying one more year in the sport because of the Olympics being postponed? Yeah. Yep. I did think about it. Um, but I'd already gotten into PT school once and postponed it, postponed that twice. <laughs> uh, and so 
I just like, I'm really excited for this next mm-hmm. step. And um, I sort of felt like the Olympics was kind of a stretch for me anyways. And I didn't want to race another year and then be disappointed if I didn't make the team. And I just like, yeah, I'm just really loving where I am right now. And I'm glad that I'm here and I didn't put it off for another year because yeah, I've been thinking about it for more than five years. So. What is PT school like so far? Cause it's, we're chatting on October 6th. So you've been doing it for like a week already, uh-huh. a week and a bit. Yeah, it's crazy. It's really, really cool. I'm really glad that we have in-person class too. So I'm doing all the classes, all the lectures, are online and my lab classes are in person. I actually have to get to anatomy lab this afternoon, which will be our first like human cadaver anatomy lab. And I'm pretty excited for that. Um, but yeah, it's busy. It's really, really busy. Uh, I feel like as a, as a pro cyclist, you have a fair amount of free time because you know, you don't work like eight till five. And now I just feel like I'm trying to learn stuff in every uh, extra minute of the day <laughs> so uh, it's it's been a big big change actually and it's also like this summer is probably the longest time that you've spent in one place or spent at home since you like signed your first pro contract in 2014 so how's that been yes definitely definitely most it was most nights under the same roof uh yeah since 2013 I mean even like since before that like we used to go places on the weekends sometimes <laughs> uh I, I mean I think it's been more than 10 years that I stayed in the same place for like three straight months so um, with your departure from the sport how like what are your general feels about it about leaving the sport uh, and about leaving it under the conditions of which like yeah you raced a little bit this year but barely and then yeah. everything kind of got derailed outside of your control um I guess I'm I have a little sometimes I miss it sometimes I I miss just being like a really fit uh cyclist and having all the time in the world to ride my bike but now the times that I get to ride my bike I am just like ecstatic uh I, I fit in an hour here an hour there and just getting outside and getting away from a computer screen is like so so huge um, I am like really excited about what I'm doing right now and just, uh, getting the skills to really help other people move better. And it feels like a long, long journey I've started on, but I'm really excited about it. Yeah. But it's something that you've been kind of, you've had like your foot in the door since, but like, since I met you really, I have this yeah. like, really great photo of you in 2013 stretching while you were brushing your teeth. And it's been something that you've always, <laughs> you've always done in your whole career has been a lot yeah. of mobility and stuff. And, and tell mm-hmm. me about, um, your cyclist, uh, Pilates class that you were also doing. Cause you yeah. did that last year. This spring while we were all stuck in our houses, I taught a Pilates class. I, did, I took a Pilates teacher training a couple of years ago, and I taught just a little Pilates class to my friends and uh, some pro cyclists and some just serious cyclists uh, as a way for us to just like hang out for an hour every day or every week and like stay connected a little bit um, and get a little bit of movement and mobility strength stuff that was really, I feel like, pertinent to cycling and sort of trying to uh, be strong, str- um, 
help us move in strong ways, but also prevent injuries. And just, it was super fun. It was just like a, an hour of some gentle exercise and a lot of sort of gossiping, but, uh, and seeing each other's faces on video, it was really, it was really nice. Back to like cycling a little bit before we kind of move on, but you, mm-hmm. you had a very short career, but you had just this incredible progression throughout your career where every single year you got better and better. And I'm curious about your mentality for anyone who's listening, who, who is new to the sport or like wants to get better. I'm curious about your mentality when it came to each year and kind of taking the successes that you had and continuing to build on them year after year. Yeah. I think just like where my head was at, was just like thinking every year, like, what can I do a little bit better? And, you know, every year you kind of learn a little bit more uh, about what your body, how your body responds to training, how you recover. Um, But just thinking like, I think every year you can optimize a little bit better. Um, Like maybe say, you know, right now I feel like I can think about my nutrition or I can think about my gym strength or, uh, you know, at this point in time I can put a lot of hours in. It doesn't have to happen all at once, but if you just think like, you know, every year sit down and have a, a little analysis of your season or or where your weaknesses are and how how you can address them, I think that can help you continue to make progress. Is there any race that you did that you kind of still remember and are going to take into retirement as like your favorite race that you ever did? Ooh, my favorite race. I I love the Giro. I just love, um, first of all, I just love stage racing. I'm a, I feel like I'm kind of slow. And uh, at the end of the week, it's like, who's slowed down the most? <laughs> or who's slowed <laughs> down the least? Who's the, yeah, who's least affected by the seven or 10 days that we've already done? Yeah. Uh, and I, I just love the sort of traveling circus that is the Giro too. Just going city to city in Italy and how, how much they decorate and how excited people are about cycling. Um, the Giro is really, uh, one of my favorite races. So with your new life as a physical therapist, moving into PT school, is there anything from cycling that you're going to take into PT school that you're pretty excited about? Yeah, I think, uh, it's pretty cool. My, I think everybody's coming into my PT program with these like really diverse life experiences. Um, and I feel like, yeah, I just have a lot of experience with cycling. Um, I have a lot of friends who've hurt themselves on their bikes. And so I'm pretty familiar with a lot of cycling injuries. Um, and yeah, it just gives you a perspective having gone so deep into one, like relatively simple movement. Uh, makes you realize how how much detail or how much you can learn about all these other uh, things related to movement and other sports and other populations and um, there's just an infinite amount of information to know out there and I think my experience <laughs> with the cycling has taught me that yeah well that's definitely true what are you kind of my my yeah. final question what are you most excited for uh-huh now that you're moving forward other than PT school? Um, I'm excited. I'm, just, I'm excited about so much stuff. Um, one, of the, one of the things I'm really excited about is like 
a little bit of diversity in what I do for um, sports or athletics or um, I've been doing a little bit of running and I've really been enjoying that and I'm really hoping to do a lot of skiing this year and just yeah spending time with friends and family and doing other stuff outdoors other than just riding my bike yeah fair skiing is really great yeah I'm so excited (laughs) thank you so much for chatting with me and uh good luck good luck in PT school and good luck skiing and yeah can't wait to follow your endeavors from here yeah thanks thank you